And whether you're quarantined in the house or not, you still don't want your gym bag being all nasty. Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure your stuff stays in check. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to your junk. Thanks to their lawnmower 3.0, Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. While you're probably at home looking for something to do, why not make manscaping a part of your new routine? You don't want to look like you're sitting on Ming's shoulders from WCW, and you don't want Brutus the Barber Beefcake chomping away down there, and you dang sure don't want to use that Freebird hair removal cream. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. Precision engineered tools for your family jewels. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Your goods are going to be nick free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. Inside the Perfect Package you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. You're probably sitting on the couch like Al Bundy right now anyway, so you might as well keep everything smooth and fresh. Subscribe to the perfect package to get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer stays fresh and clean. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing manscaped boxer briefs this is the perfect package for your perfect package get 20 percent off and free shipping with code slopdrop at manscaped.com that's slopdrop s-l-o-p-d-r-o-p do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the promo code slopdrop s-l-o-p-d-r-o-p That's a slot drop. I can answer that. That's a slot drop. What is that move? That's a slot drop. Slot drop time. That's a slot drop. Slot drop. Slot drop. Slot drop. The slot drop indeed. What's up, humanoids? Welcome back to the Slop Drop. This is Nathan Rogers at Pig Sumo on Twitter. And we are joined by the voice of the Twin Lakes Sports Network, the Loose Cannon, David McBee. Well, man, hey, I got to say, I'm totally digging the uh, Cactus Jack, uh, one and dead bang, or bang. alive. Got to do a little bang, bang. And uh, bang, bang gave oh, us a little bit of a shout out today, w- man. It was WWE sweet. Hall of Famer Mick Foley here to talk to you for just a moment about the slop drop. Now, I'm kind of new to the whole podcast thing, but right up on the tippy top of my favorites is the slop drop. So if you're looking for an infotainment podcast that recaps old school pro wrestling events mixed in with results, random facts, obscure facts, opinions, and more, you can't go wrong with the slop drop. Try it out today and make your day a nice one. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that, Mick Foley. Uh, 25 years ago this week, WCW Monday Nitro, the first ever WCW Monday Nitro, September 4th, 1995, from the Mall of America in Minneapolis, Minnesota. About 2,000 in attendance. I'm not sure how they got that number. Commentators was Eric Bischoff, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Steve Mongo McMichael. Minneapolis, Minnesota, the Mall of America, the only building big enough 
edition of WCW Monday Nitro. We are coming to you live here on TNT. Hello, everybody. I'm Eric Bischoff, along with the newest member of the WCW broadcast team. Hey, you made it to the big leagues, buddy. Stephen Michael. Look at this venue here. This place is apropos, and that don't mean you're digging around in the dirt with farm implements, baby. This means this is a championship place to showcase championship athletes. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, Mr. McMichaels has made it. Welcome to WCW. Well, it was nice to meet it's a you, pleasure buddy, to have man. you. Don't underestimate Mongo, Mr. Heenan. Uh, hey, you forgot Pepe was there with Mongo, but this was the show that began it all. I absolutely love this show. I didn't even have to watch it this week because I've seen it so many times. Absolutely love this. This is what began the Monday Night Wars and changed the world of professional wrestling as we would know it forever. Rumor and innuendo is this has not been proven, but there's been a lot of people speculate and talk about it. Vince McMahon had sent Ted Turner letters urging him to cancel WCW because it was an embarrassment to wrestling. And after Eric Bischoff met with Turner... This prompted Turner to not only go ahead with WCW, but go head to head with WWF. To me, that which, just blows me like away. You said that started he the would Monday send letters to him, saying shut down WCW. It is a, uh, it is an embarrassment. That in itself, to me, would rile up Ted Turner enough to say, "Fuck you, we're going full bore." Yeah, that's the story I've heard. I think Bischoff's told that story on his uh, podcast before. But, you know, WCW basically, you know, was came from the ashes of the NWA. Of course, Ted Turner, the owner. I don't think anyone in the entire Turner organization wanted WCW round. But the guy that was writing the checks at the time, Ted Turner, did. And not only did he say, I want to go head-to-head with the WWF, for a while, they was whipping the WWF's tail. And they took sports entertainment, pro wrestling, to a level it has never been. And you can trace it all began on this very episode. I remember watching it. I was pumped up. The episode was coming on. I, I was actually working in high, I was in high school at the time, and I was working at Reelham and Catfish. I'm like, I can't work Monday night because I got to be off that night. I work Tuesday. I work an extra day during the week. I'll pick up somewhere else. Because I wanted to see it. It was only an hour long, but what an hour it was. Champions at this time, world champ was Hulk Hogan. U.S. champion was Sting. TV champ was the Renegade. And tag team champs was Bunkhouse Buck and Dirty Dick Slater. The Renegade, uh, just a little bit about him. He was brought into WCW as the ultimate surprise, implying that he was the ultimate warrior. He was their knockoff version, their generic brand of the ultimate warrior. Named Worst Wrestler of the Year in 1995 by the Wrestling Observer. Soon released, went down a severe deep depression, ended up killing himself uh, in February of 1999 at the age of 33. But as I mentioned earlier, no Tony Schiavone. Originally, it was uh, Bischoff, Mongo, and and the Brain. Eventually, Tony would end up being the main commentator. Uh, He's talked about this on his podcast, What Happened When with Conrad Thompson, that he wasn't really bothered by this, but what bothered him the most I is he was in on the production of the show. About not being involved in the production of it. I had uh, done a lot of work uh, with uh, with Worldwide, done a lot of work with WCW Saturday Night as a producer, 
But now I was completely on the outs production-wise. That's what I took issue with. Uh, and we were going straight ahead with a new a new product, and I had no I had nothing to do with it at all. And I'm telling you, it's not by being because I wasn't the announcer of it. It's because I was not any producer. But announcing wise, hell's no. I had plenty to do. So there. Yeah, Shivani, kind of on the outs. I think he was doing a lot of stuff with WCW Saturday night at the time, but kind of on the outs here. But this announcing crew is one that wasn't there for very long. I actually really enjoyed it. Of course, Mongo was out of place. I think he said the word baby probably, you know, like 50 times every every single episode. That was kind of his line, baby. But, uh, man, I, I enjoyed this group. Uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan I thought did a great job. I thought Eric Bischoff did a really good job and set the tone for WCW. But, you know, I, I really liked it when it transitioned and Shivani came in. This was a good group, but I think when Shivani and then you had the professor, Mike Tanay, the living legend, Larry Zabisco, all that group came along. That's the group that I really appreciated the most. Rumor was Nancy Sullivan, a.k.a. Nancy Benoit, a.k.a. Woman, oh, woman, won't you marry me now? Had even tried out for announcing position, but I don't know if there's any truth for that. Mongo, Super Bowl champion with the Chicago Bears, had an Emmy award-winning sports radio show at the time, ultimately left the broadcast booth, became a wrestler, and became one of, if not the worst member of the legendary Four Horsemen stable. Uh, I think he's probably worse than Roma. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, at least Roma could work. Mongo, I mean, Mongo could talk. He had a lot of enthusiasm, but should have never been put in that horseman gimmick. I thought he severely watered the group down. And, uh, you know, Mongo, he 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 went, uh, you know, in the short period of time he was involved in wrestling, he was the United States champion. He was an announcer on the number one rated, uh, you know, wrestling show in the world in this short period of time. He made an impact in his couple of years in the business. Then, of course, his wife, Deborah, who he ended up brought in, she ended up being involved in the wrestling industry for quite a long time and ended up marrying Stone Cold Steve Austin. So it was uh, interesting how that all worked out. But, I mean, it all really began here. If you really look back at it, this is the time business started to pick up. This was the game changer. And this episode is still stands up today. If you watch a lot of the stuff from the 80s and the early 90s, you're like, oh, my gosh, the ding-dongs are out there wrestling. This is terrible. Oh, we got the hunchbacks. You can't pin them because they got hunchbacks. I mean, there's some terrible stuff in here, but this, you know, it was kind of – you didn't have the uh, NWO in yet, so it wasn't the reality-based stuff, and you know, but it was starting to transition. It was becoming a little more realistic. I was still thinking of the, of the hunchbacks. <laughs> first match of the night. First match ever in Liger Nitro by history. Flying Brian After Pillman countering a German suplex to a victory roll in just under seven minutes. Standing switch. He got him. He's got him. He did. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your winner. Flying a tremendous victory. Flying Brian. After the match, Pillman helps Liger up. They both shake hands. Great opening match. Two legends uh, for the very first match in Nitro history. Liger set to be inducted in 2020 WWE Hall of Fame. Who knows when that's going to take place thanks to the coronavirus. And Pillman unfortunately died about two years after this and, in my opinion, should be in that Hall of Fame. We've done a whole episode on him, episode 81. 
Uh, and I know Flying Brian Pillman is one of the Loose Cannon's favorites. Yeah, this match, though, is not one of my favorites. Pillman had actually been out with an injury for a while and was just coming back. I think the timing just a little bit off during the match. But it, it's so hard for them. You know, you have these guys come in who had these incredible matches. You know, I think it was Super Brawl 2. You go back and watch that. One of the greatest matches ever. And, you know, if you only got five minutes, it's a hard it's hard to get a lot of reaction unless you're a really hardcore fan. The crowd, really not into this. And this would kind of be the end of the Brian Pillman, Flying Brian, you know, white meat baby face. And he would start to slowly over the next several months transition into the loose cannon. But it was kind of an end of the era, end of an era for Pillman on this. He had one move in it uh, that was, you know, he's probably lucky he didn't break his neck. Uh, very awkward landing. But uh, him and Liger, Liger de deserves to be a Hall of Fame. I think Pillman does as well. But what a way to start off the match. I thought that was a really hot matchup, uh, you know, to start off. Backstage, Sting says no one can do the Scorpion Deathlock like he can. Boy, there is nobody that can walk that aisle like the Stinger can when it comes to getting in your face. And there is nobody that can hook the Scorpion Deathlock on better than yours truly. Could be the first little jab uh, at the WWE and their main eventer, Bret Hart. Uh, of course, his finishing move was the sharpshooter at the time. Uh, another tape segment, Eric Bischoff with Hulk Hogan promoting Hogan's Restaurant. Pasta Mania, brother. Tonight on Monday Nitro, Pasta Mania is got all my Hulkamaniacs running wild. And I've eaten so many Hulkaroos and Hulkyus, I kind of feel sorry for Big Bubba, brother, because tonight, brother, first time on TNT, I'm putting the WCW heavyweight title on the line. And with Pasta Mania running through my brain, who's going to beat Big Bubba tonight, Hulkamaniacs? And when I'm done dragging him around the Mall of America and all my pasta maniacs are tearing their WCW shirts off, brother, I'm going to give Big Bubba a dose of my Hulkaroos up there, and then I'm going to body slam him again. The Hulkster slim and trim. I've been eating my pasta mania. And what you going to do in the Mall of America, brother, when Hulk Hogan, pasta mania, and all my pasta maniacs run wild on you? What you going to do? All right. Pasta Mania located in the Mall of America, where this event took place. Pasta Mania was basically the subway of pasta where you can choose your own pasta, you can choose your own sauce, you can choose your own meat, you can choose your own heartburn and diarrhea. Uh, only one thing I can think of could have saved Pasta Mania, brother. And what was that? And that is some Windy Wine from uh, the Windy Wine Company, our good friend Niles Planquet. Had Hogan served some of that windy wine, it probably would have been in business today. Yeah, if windy wine would have been the only thing that could have saved Pasta Mania because no one was buying Pasta Mania, it was gone, uh, you know, quicker than I think in like a year or two, it was already out of business. Not one of Hogan's uh, best investments. If you really wanted to promote the the Pasta Mania, you probably could have done a little bit better than that. Uh, remember, at Pasta Mania, you rule. You choose the sauce, you choose the pasta, you choose the cheese. Awkward, uh, the, the the crowd, you know, it's like they're trying to get the little kids pumped up about pasta and the little kids. It's like, I wonder how much they were bribing them. I think they had some chocolate they were giving them afterwards trying to get them to cheer. But, uh, I mean, during this part, watching it as a, as a young young teenager watching this, I was I was booing Hogan, man. I could not stand Hogan at this time. 
Well, there was a little bribing going on, all right, and you mentioned some happy faces. One of those happy faces may have been Kate Kennedy, uh, a huge reason Pasta Mania didn't work, brother. Hogan ends up getting sued by a lady by the name of Kate Kennedy for sexual assault. She was the publicist for Pasta Mania, and I think may have worked in the Mall of America in marketing or something like that. Again, where the show took place, where the restaurant was. Allegedly, these two had an encounter either the night before or uh, two nights before this event uh, at Hogan's hotel room. Hogan ends up uh, countersuing, accusing her of extortion, and then, of course, it was later settled out of court. Yeah, I mean, interesting background to this, uh, you know, Pasta Mania really had a big uh, impact on the Hulkster. Uh, interesting how that kind of played out, but Pasta Mania, uh, much like the Dungeon of Doom, it just wasn't going to last. Hogan's noodle got him in trouble from Pasta Mania. Uh, second match of the night, Sting defeated Ric Flair by disqualification to retain the U United States title. Just as the bell rings, Lex Luger, who worked a WWF house show just the night before, walks out. The crowd is chanting Luger, and then he's escorted off the screen. What the hell is he doing here? Get the camera who? off of him. Why, look. Get him out of here. Get the camera what off of him. What is this? Oh, wait a minute. He's got a right to be aware. This is a pu public mall. Get him out of here. Somebody call the security guards. What? Get the security and get him out of here. What's this he is doing wrong? What is he doing wrong? This is just unabashed arrogance. Wait a minute. I think we've got a major problem here. We have a situation starting here. Yeah. A big one. I want to know what he's doing here. Arn Anderson comes to ringside. Flair gets Sting in the figure four and grabs the ropes for leverage. Flair refuses to release the ropes until the, until the ref disqualifies him. Double A jumps in, knocks Flair off the ropes. Those two start going at it. Wait a uh -oh. What's going on? I told you. I didn't know who he was looking at. Wait a minute. I thought they patched things up, Rain. I don't know what's going on here. What is this? And thankfully, the Arn and Rick feud doesn't last much longer after this. Well, of course, uh, Arn Anderson, he was sporting that, you know, mid-90s Nike look to him. Uh, you know, of course, came out, uh, interfered in that. Luger, I mean, Luger, that is, if you remember anything from this episode, it's always Lex Luger walking out. And the crowd popped big time for Luger. And Luger, you know, from my understanding, it was a secret all throughout the day. A lot of wrestlers, they didn't know. They're like, why in the world is Lex Luger here? They really didn't know what was going on. Uh, but I always remember Luger walking out, and I always remember that terrible, terrible shirt that he had. The no-collared shirt buttoned up to his chin. Yeah, just awkward, awkward shirt there. But, man, Luger, that set the tone. That was the first shot across the bow of the WWF. Luger, huge surprise at the time. Bischoff said on his podcast, 83 Weeks, they had focus groups that did studies, and the research said most fans wanted to be surprised and they wanted things to be unpredictable. We did focus groups in major cities around the United States. We did, I don't know how many of them, maybe eight or ten of them. And one of the consistent themes that we kept hearing out of each one of those focus groups is that wrestlers wanted, or wrestling fans wanted to see the unexpected. They wanted to be surprised. And 
we knew that Lux coming in would be a huge surprise. It certainly was to Pat Patterson and, and Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard over in WWF. We've heard their side of the story. It's pretty funny. I'm one of those fans. I think you are too. WWE had no clue that Luger had signed with WCW. Didn't know he would appear. Again, he just worked for WWF the night before. Uh, they were actually expecting him to re-sign. He'd been their top guy for you know the previous year or two. Some within WWF thought Luger was still under contract with them. Luger's Nitro debut was so confidential, as you said, that most inside WCW didn't know about it. Luger himself traveled to the venue from his hotel uh, wearing a disguise to pull off the surprise. I wasn't really sure how it was going to work out, but I knew one thing, and that's that WWE thought he was under contract. The audience thought he was under contract, and I knew at least for a night having Lex Luger show up on Nitro was going to be a big damn deal, but we had to work really hard to keep it quiet. Yeah. You tried to surprise anybody with anything, you know, it'd be all over the internet or all over the dirt sheets or whatever uh, it was at that time. And we really wanted to make it work. So Lex flew himself to Minneapolis, uh, put himself up in a separate hotel, and we didn't bring him over to the building until right before that appearance. If I've ever taken a chance on anybody or anything that probably paid off, you know, and got a return on the investment as quickly and as substantially uh, as Lex Luger did, I can't, I can't think of it. Well, I mean, this was this was a this was a shock to wrestling fans. Of course, Luger he was huge in the late '80s in the NWA, early WCW, a former world champion with them. Uh, it, it was it was really shocking when he came walking out. But you know, you know, you mentioned too, you had Sting and you had Flair. What a huge match for the second match! And it would be funny how this would tie into the history of Nitro. Of course, the very last Monday Nitro finishes with Sting and Ric Flair. And what a difference a few years makes because that match in 2001 was nothing like the one they were putting on in 95. But what a great matchup uh, between those two. And that would also be kind of setting the foundation for the four horsemen. But uh, Luger, I mean, it was, you know, Luger, I, I think from what I've read and what I've heard, Sting is the one who really set that up with Bischoff. Bischoff didn't want anything to do with Luger. But Sting really got him to come over. And the surprise factor, that is something, like right now in our current pro wrestling world, WWE, there's not surprises like that. There's hardly ever any surprises. But AEW, the last couple months, you can kind of see those surprises. You know, just a couple weeks ago, Thunder Rosa, you know, the uh, NWA Women's Champion walks out. You, you have people walking out, and it's like, oh, my gosh, a big surprise. I, that's something nowadays I love how AEW is doing those surprises. And that's something all throughout 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000, that is what made it great during this period because you never know who would show up. You know, it might be, you know, Kurt Henning walks out this week or, you know, all sorts of different people walking out. And uh, it always had you on the edge of your seat wanting that great surprise, and that's something that's been gone. But I got to give credit, AEW is bringing that surprise factor back. Scott Flash Norton shows up all pissed off, which brings out the Macho Man Randy Savage. How about the Macho Man Randy Savage? Is that good enough for you? Dig it! Macho Man, what are we waiting for? Let's do it! What are we waiting for? Nothing! Let's do it right now! Come on! No, hey, wait a minute! Wait a minute! Get security out here! This thing is not safe! You can't do this! 
basically a way to get Macho Man on the show. We then see a hype video of Sabu coming to WCW. I'll be honest, I don't remember a whole lot of Sabu in WCW. I don't know what happened there. To me, I think uh, when I think Sabu, I think ECW. Well, Sa- Sabu, he ended up having a match. I think it was maybe the next week. He maybe had one or two matches, and I, I remember he actually. I think uh, I think it was he was with like Disco Inferno and couldn't get a table to break and ended up you know, going a little too far, but his matches in WCW, the crowd was really into it. I think he just, uh, he went further than what they wanted him to go. But Sabu, this was that time, man. Sabu was freaking dangerous. He looked like he was crazy. He might've been crazy. He probably Uh, is a little crazy. Yeah, he probably is a little bit crazy, but uh, I mean, just right there, you're like, holy cow, man, WCW is really changing. You got Luger, then all of a sudden Sabu's coming, who... Hardcore fans know he's crazy. I mean, what a way to build up excitement for their first episode. Very well done segments. We then say vignette of Mike Rotunda, known as uh, Michael Wall Street here. The few generation is nothing more than the few generation. Oh, and I'm sure that the IRS is going to be watching me real close. Uh, taking some shots at the WWE, mentioned the new generation, called them the few generation, I think. Drops the IRS name. Uh Poor Mike Rotunda, you know, we've mentioned it before. Great wrestler, poor uh, gimmick box victim. Yeah, he just had a lot of uh, bad gimmicks. The IRS, probably the one he's most known for. Uh, Great worker, just not maybe the most entertaining guy on the mic. But, you know, he went on to have an impact in WCW. And, you know, I think I was smart of them having a familiar face, someone who had had a pretty decent run in the WWF. All of a sudden, he's here. Yeah, I think they were really loading it up with a great mix uh, on this first episode. And having him come in, I think later, though, he would end up becoming, I think, what, VK Wall Street? And, you know, to take a shot at Vincent Kennedy McMahon. And, you know, all uh, he was always involved in some just segments that wasn't good, but great worker. Main event of the night, Hulk Hogan defeated Big Bubba Rogers by pinfall to retain the world title. Bubba gets some offense, hits a sidewalk slam. But then it's Hulk up time, baby. Finger wag, big boot, leg drop, three count. Hogan wins. Oh, Hogan will not be denied. Oh, I've seen this happen before. He hears the human noise. He gets that red and yellow going in his veins. He hears them screaming and yelling, and there it is. He puts the brakes on. Hulkamania's alive. Nothing can hurt that man. It's amazing. But, oh, he has a knock. Yeah, Hogan wins. Hogan is going to pose, but then, you know, some other things happen. But did you notice during this matchup, the crowd wasn't cheering for Hulk Hogan in this matchup? As much as the announcers were pushing him to the moon saying, the crowd is pumped up. I have to tell you, the crowd was not pumped up for Hulk Hogan in this match. You heard a lot of boos. And later on after this, it would really come to the forefront. Well, the crowd's, their their bellies was full of pasta mania, brother. They was feeling the effects of those carbs. I don't know if it was the effect of those carbs or effect of, he's been doing the same thing for a decade. Uh, Of course, we know he's going to turn later, but leg drop and then the pose brother hogan must pose 
Dungeon of Doom runs out. Lex Luger makes the save. Of course, Dungeon of Doom, Kevin Sullivan, the devil himself. Ming, the most dangerous, baddest man in wrestling. We did an episode on him, I think, 76. Kamala recently passed away just a few weeks ago. The shark we talked about, John Tenta, a few weeks ago. Hey, Zodiac he's not man. a shark. He's not a shark. He's a man. Speaking of man, the Zodiac man, the booty man, the Brutus man, your favorite, Brutus the Barber Beefcake comes out. Luger yes, no, and yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Luger and Hogan walk backwards, bump into each other, turn around, get face to face. Sting Savage comes out, and then Mean Gene comes out to end the show and tries to get a word with everybody. All right, we're trying to sort all of this out here at the Mall of America on the premiere edition. I don't know what's going on, Hulk Hogan. What are you doing here, Luger? You've got no business in my backyard, Luger. Well, let me tell you why I'm here. I'll make it clear right up front. I'm here for one reason. And one reason only, people say that you're the number one wrestler in the world today. You wear that WCW belt around your waist. And you know what? That makes you the only world's heavyweight champion. And I'm here to take that belt. That's why I'm here. Let me tell you something, Luger. One second, before you jump the gun, no. hold on just one second and let me finish. Then you'll have your peace. Just let me finish. I've been down the same roads as you. I've been where you've been. I've beaten the same people you've beaten. I am sick and tired of playing around with kids. I'm here to get it on with the big boys, and that means you. And I don't care whether it's next month, next year, or five years from now, I'm gonna get my shot. You see this, brother? This is the WCW Heavyweight title, brother. I'm the champion, and that's the way it's going to stay forever and a day. I know where you've been, brother. You've been playing games. I'm going to have to give you your due, brother. I know when you started and how long you've been at it, brother. But when you come in the WCW, when you get in Hulk Hogan's face, brother, there's thousands of Hulkamaniacs, brother, that are going to stand behind me each and every bit of the way, Luger. So as far as I'm concerned, brother, as great as you may be, you don't have to prove nothing to me, brother. You don't have to wait till next week. You don't have to wait till next month. Just stick that stinky palm of yours out, brother. Shake my hand, and I'll put the WCW title on the line next Monday on Monday Nitro right in Miami. I'll put the title the no, WCW. She got it. You better kill like about that. I'm hitting a home run. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't believe it. Apparently next Monday, yes, it's been confirmed. Hogan and Luger for the WCW heavyweight title. If we can keep it under wraps. Eric Bischoff, Steve McMichael, the brain. I can hardly wait till next Sunday in the meantime. From the Vault of America, have a great one. Thought it was a good closing segment. Automatically, just put Luger right in the main event by this setup. I thought it was. I thought it was very well done. I. The the thing though that was really awkward to me. Well, not awkward. I would say, you know, when Luger came out, the crowd was chanting Luger. You can hear yeah. it in the audio. The crowd was cheering Luger. And, you know, Hogan's doing his baby face stuff about Luger this. They were chanting Luger, Luger over Hogan. And, uh, you know, you could just see the, the the fans were pumped up and excited. I thought this was, even though it wasn't in a arena, I thought the, the sound, the volume, the crowd was pumped up. I thought it was very well done. 
I thought overall, I mean, I don't think you could have a better episode than what they had to start it off. I mean, there was surprise, great matches, you know, take out the pasta mania and anything Hogan, and this was a home run. Luger ends up challenging Hogan. They cut promos on each other, setting up the Real American versus the Lex Express, made in the USA. We've talked about surprises. Twitter poll, I said more surprising WCW Nitro debut. Lex Luger on the first Nitro, he was thought to be under WWF contract. Or Rick Rude, who appeared both on Raw and Nitro on the same night. Or Scott Hall, who is perceived to still be in the WWE, who made his debut uh, surprisingly one night. And then as a tie, I asked uh, Medusa and Mike Awesome. Medusa was the WWF uh, women's champion during her debut, and then Mike Awesome was the ECW champion during his debut. Scott Hall gets the majority of the vote. Uh, Rick Rude got second. Luger gets third. And, of course, Medusa and Awesome comes in fourth. Well, the thing that really stood out to me in this, this episode was the quality of the production. I thought it was very well produced. Very well filmed. It looked like, hey, we're a big company. We're a legit company. You know, if you watch WCW in the years leading up for that, you'd have them. I can't, you know, who could ever forget Ric Flair coming out and they spelled his name R-I-C-K across the bottom. <laughs> you know, WCW known for doing things like that. But under Bischoff's helm, great production with this uh, group. And I thought it was a it was a great start. I really like that hour format, you know. Two years later, they'd be doing three hours every Monday night. Then it's starting to get watered down. Yeah, too much. Raw right now. Raw on a – it's three hours long. That's way too much. A pay-per-view shouldn't be three hours long. Every Monday night, it's just too much, man. But I I love the hour. Could you imagine having to come up with three hours every single week and then you got multiple shows and – I mean, the hour is similar to kind of like the NWA Power. I think that's why all of us really liked NWA Power last year is because it was less than an hour. Yeah. And I know you're you're a big MLW fan, and that's something MLW. They put together really good production for one hour. Yeah. Well, that was the first Nitro. It ran unopposed. There was no Raw this week. Had a rating of 2.5. Interestingly, the intro video for this debut episode featured multiple shots of Big Van Vader Vader left WCW after a uh, backstage dust-up with Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Rumor is Vader was to be booked to face Hogan for the WCW title on the September 11th edition, but was eventually, you know, ultimately placed by Lex Luger here. Uh, Vader, a WCW legend, never wrestled on an episode of Nitro. And other than Vader, some more WCW legends who never wrestled on an episode of Nitro. Ron Simmons, Ricky Dragon Steamboat, Cactus Jack and Tully Blanchard, all WCW legends, but never wrestled on a Nitro. Yeah, it, this show though would go on. I think it was like two hundred and fifty something episodes. You know what? The two hundred and fifty episodes it was. And what's crazy is, you know, they talk about how bad WCW was in the last year and a half. Even in their worst time, like their very last episode, they still had a rating of two point three. They were still averaging around two. So, basically, the ratings kind of fell back to where it was at the very start. That's not what you want to do, but, you know, there was still that hardcore audience that ultimately when WCW left, I don't know if they ever came back to wrestling. And uh, I I would I always remember this episode. I absolutely loved it. That first 95, 96, there were some great WCW episodes to watch, except for, you know, so, some matches. They, I think they always had a Jim Powers match every time, and, He'd always have to come out and do that. And 
you know, uh, like the Renegade, you know, rest in peace, uh, you know, Renegade, some really bad matches. Joe Gomez was getting pushed for a while. So, you know, some, some stuff that just wasn't good. And of course, the American males. That's the only thing this episode oh. was missing was American males. American Actually, males. I think they worked a dark match, but thank God they didn't make this episode. Yeah. I can't stand that song. <laughs> only three matches, but some big surprises. Some of the first shots fired at WWF and the beginning of the Monday Night Wars. Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle, and do you have a favorite match or segment? I'm going to say definitely thumbs up. I think best segment has to be uh, the Flair, Flair, Arne Anderson, Sting fiasco with Lex Luger coming in because that's got to be it because it's over 20-something years later and we're still talking about it. People don't remember, oh, Bubba Rogers took on, unless you're crazy like me and you've watched the episode 50 times. Oh, I don't, you know, Bubba Rogers took on Hogan after Pasta Mania. The only thing I was disappointed with that is the match should have taken off outside the ring. They should have ended up in Pasta Mania with Hogan dumping Pasta over him. I was like, how could you not do that? Man, I, man, I don't know. <laughs> how to get that in there? <laughs> that about wraps it up. Follow us on Facebook at The Slop Drop on Twitter at The Slop Drop 1. Wherever you find your podcast, we're probably there. Leave us a good rating, a good review. Thank you guys for listening. And until next time, we're out of here. Thanks, Have a nice day. Bang, bang. Goodbye and good night.